Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Our text this morning, we will read in just a moment, verses 1 through 6, as we continue on in our series. Welcome to Big Woods Bible Church online. Hopefully, Lord willing, next Sunday I got word we are going my grandson's favorite color code. We're going green. We will be meeting together outside on the north lawn, um, 9 o'clock in the morning. I know, I know, I know it may seem a little bit different. And it will be a little bit different. I know that some of you would say, wait a minute, if I have to stay six feet apart from someone, I don't know if I want to be there. Hey, people, it's better than being six miles apart, okay? Um, I know that some people may have masks on. That's okay. What I want to remind you of is this. You are part of the body of Christ. You know, as I certainly... No, and each one of us have felt the absence of being together, how important it is for us to gather. And so I would, I would plan now, I would encourage you to make next Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, a priority to be outside. Um, if the weather is bad, if it's inclement weather, we'll meet inside with two services, but we will be going green, and that is a wonderful, wonderful answer to prayer. You know, it's challenging as well, because we're excited at one hand, and yet on the other, we wake up again this morning uh, to, a, to a country that is just, it's, it's literally on fire in many ways. There's just so much turmoil. We're excited, it's a beautiful day, and we can soon worship together, and yet there's so many people that are so angry, and there's such destruction, there's such hatred and animosity Enter what? Enter the church of Jesus Christ. Enter you and I, Lord willing, that, that live differently, that, that love the Lord first and seek to love other people. My prayer is, is that we would just rise to this occasion, first and foremost, be faithful, faithful, faithful in prayer. That this, this upheaval, this violence will come to an end and just as Pastor Stewart so appropriately prayed that we would what, pray for the Lord's return. But before then, we have a job to do to speak what? Truth in love to every single person. Before we dive into our text this morning, there's a great text here. It's a weighty, heavy text. But thankfully, we know that the Lord's word never returns void, that he has an important word for us this morning. Let's bow our heads and just pray before we dive into Exodus 20. Pray with me. Father, we do come to you and we know this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to you through the work of Jesus. And we gather in this very unique fashion, in this very unique time, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've rescued us from our own sinfulness, from ourselves. You've redeemed us. You've called us out. You've set us apart for purpose. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength as we are filled by your Spirit to live, Lord, on fire for you, that we would speak truth in love, 
We would demonstrate grace and mercy to every person. And that you'd be glorified. Father, we just pray for our country. Pray for cities that are in upheaval and unrest. We pray for those people who are causing such hardship and such destruction. Lord, would you, in all of your glory and your might, speak to them. Would you allow us, Lord, to be faithful in praying for them, that you would heal our land in this most difficult season. Father, we know, Lord, that everything happens for purpose, that you are sovereign, that you are reigning and ruling. Father, we trust you that your perfect will would be accomplished, they would use us to be bright, shining beacons of light that offer hope and love. Fathers, we now are, are bowed together in homes all across this place. We would hear a voice from you. Lord, my prayer is that there would not be a focus on an individual. May you speak. May the name of Jesus be exalted. May the body of Christ be built up and edified. And most of all, may you be glorified. Please help me, help me. Guard my mind and my mouth so that everything, everything that, that I say, you would delight in. Speak now and may your servants hear. We ask this in the amazing and powerful and wonderful Matchless name of Jesus, amen and amen. Okay, we have been in this wilderness journey alongside of the Israelites. It's been about seven weeks in total. The Israelites now have traveled to, and we saw this last week, to the very base of Mount Sinai. They have traveled to meet God. So far, up to this point, it's been God from a distance. God has been freeing them and, and saving them, providing for them, protecting them. But, but now it's not God from a distance. From this point, it's going to be God up close. We kind of set the scene last week, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 19. There is smoke and there is clouds and thunderings and a trumpet blast, a voice from heaven. People are trembling. It actually says that the mountain itself is trembling. God is setting the terms of what this relationship is going to look like. If you recall what Exodus 19 that we read last week is a lot like Mark chapter 9 when Moses was on another mountain. The Mount Transfiguration where there was also a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This means for all of us Whenever God speaks, and God speaks primarily through his word, our responsibility is to listen. How are you doing in that area? When the word is open, when you begin your day, Lord willing, every single day, Lord, speak to me. How are you doing when it comes to your listening? I'm not talking about just like hearing sounds, hearing words, that type of listening. How are you doing in allowing it to sink in, to kind of seep deep within. That's why Jesus taught what in Matthew chapter 11? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Last I checked, every one of you have ears to hear. When Jesus says that, it's another way of saying, listen up. 
I have something to tell you. It's another way of saying pay close attention. Today as we read our text, Exodus chapter 20, we need to do that. I need to do that. Listen very carefully. Exodus chapter 20, I'll begin just with the first three verses. Verse 1. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, what I find quite fascinating, whenever anyone studies the Ten Commandments, everyone always begins in verse 3. Excuse me, what's of utmost importance here is before the list, is actually a couple verses, is an important statement as to why the list. So, so, So in the midst of this scene on Sinai, God begins to speak and he says, I I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What is this? You know what this is? I have brought you out of from where you used to be uh, in bondage. This is gospel. This is all gospel. Certainly for Israel, but also for us. Why? Because God frees us. God gives us new life. God calls us to obedience. This follows the entire pattern of the gospel of Jesus. That people of God, you and I, we desire to do God's will. Not not because they can earn salvation, but because they've already been given. Because they've already been granted salvation. The apostle Paul wrote, This in Romans chapter 6, it speaks of this in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed and having been set free from sin. So Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 begins with the gospel. At a very high level, we take the Ten Commandments and probably, you know, they can be divided into two groups. There's, there's two parts or two sections to the Ten Commandments. The first section is how to show our love to God. And then the second section is how to show our love for other people. Love God, love people. Reduce everything that we do. Reduce everything that we are to be in this world. And this speaks very clearly, very simply, very precisely of our mission. Love God. Love people. This is how we learn how to do that. The first four commandments speak of our vertical relationship with God. And the final six speak of our horizontal relationship with our neighbor. These are not, these are not, as I remember listening years ago to a commencement speaker as it was written and recorded from Duke University. These are not the ten ethical suggestions as one person proclaimed. These, These are what? These are commands. They're statutes. They are laws that are laid down for us. A law is a binding custom 
or practice of a community. A law is a rule of conduct or action prescribed. A law is what? Formally recognizing as a binding or enforced by a controlling authority. We hear the word law, something that is enforced by an authority that is outside of us, that is above us, and all of us at some level kind of cringe on that. This is tough to hear today because what? It's pretty obvious. Look around us. Listen to the news every day that people have lost an understanding of God-given laws. People have lost a fear of God. People's reference today and people's understanding of who God is have reduced the hand of God, the work of God, and the person of God to what? To three little letters that, that, that come out in a, in a tweet somewhere. OMG. That's people's understanding of God. OMG, isn't that an adorable kitten? OMG, isn't that a cute dress? OMG. If, if it's not what in that then the act of God has been reduced, what, in another way, people have lost the fear of God to say, well, it's just really, it's just, it's just Mother Nature having her way, doing what she wants. That's people's understanding of God today. We live in a day, we live in a time, we live in an era, we live in a place that everyone desires to resist any binding authority. No one wants to be under a binding. No one tells me how I'm supposed to live. No one tells me who I'm supposed to love. No one tells me how I'm to serve. No, no, actually, someone does. One does. Our ultimate authority, the voice of God booming. So we begin. We'll look at just two commandments today in our series over the next couple of weeks of looking at each one of these. We stand, in a sense, alongside those chosen people at the base of Mount Sinai, and we need to, what I call, put first things first. Number one, this is what we need to hear from the voice of God this morning. You should not replace God with an idol. You should not replace God with anything. We just read commandment number one. You shall have no other gods. Notice the lowercase g. You shall have nothing, no other gods before me. I checked virtually every translation I could find. And what's interesting is that this statement remains unchanged. Why? Doesn't matter what translation you read, the first commandment is. Nothing changes. Why? Because there's only one way. That this commandment can and should be interpreted. It's very clear. So we begin this morning with, with, with what exactly does this command mean for us? How does a command written, what, thousands of years ago affect or impact my life today? Last week I spoke of the transcendence of God. Spoke of what? His greatness, his vastness, his superiority, his wholeness. That there's something with inside of us. Remember that? There's something like it's born within that we are drawn to that which is big or bigger. We're drawn to that which is beyond us. That's why people travel to Niagara or the Grand Canyon. That's why people want to go to the mountains 
or the oceans. There's something inside it. We want to, we, we, in a sense, we, we want to feel small against something big. If it's not what? If you can't go to a place, what's interesting is that people even be, be, are, are desiring to be part of something. People want to be part of something that is bigger than themselves. That's why people fill up stadiums. That's why people, what? They, they wear jerseys the name of their team on it. They put bumper stickers on their car. That's why people cheer for their favorite team or their, their school or their city or their country. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. I don't think there's anything wrong with cheering for another team. Now, you know what I do think is wrong? Is that we have to be careful that we live with an understanding that whatever it is that we're drawn to, there's a, there's a potential danger, anything, anyone, that, that takes too much of our attention, takes too much of our effort and our energy, can actually distract us, can actually draw us away from the very purpose, the precise reason that you and I are here, the very reason that you exist. Look at your hands. Think just for a moment. God, God, God himself created you. Unique. There's only one of you. There's only, what? There's only your fingerprints. No one else. It says that God formed you. It says that God shaped you. I love how the psalmist says, God, what? He knits you together. This is what you do when you're knitting. I don't know how to knit, but this is what you do when you knit. Something like this. God knit us. What, your, your retina doesn't match anyone else's. Your DNA doesn't match anyone else's. You're like cute, adorable, kind of funny looking face. It doesn't match anyone else's. There's only one of you. God created you so that you'd live, so that you give glory to him. Not to anything, not to anyone else. That's where we start. God, God knows the truth. God is truth. And he knows deep within inside of every single one of us. Every single one of us is a worshiper of someone or of something. So thankfully, what, what is actually happening here is that God in his grace is actually helping us. God is actually fencing us in to say to us and to warn us if you choose to run after, if you choose to chase others, other things, God is actually helping us to say that you will not enjoy. You will not enjoy all that I have given, all that I have blessed you with. You know what God is saying in this first commandment? You will never be fully satisfied apart from me. That, that's, that's the first commandment in a sense. God is saying to us, what, chase whatever you want, but you will never, never be fully satisfied apart from me. Personally, I love the simplicity 
that is offered in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number six, here it reads. What, 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 is, what is required? What is required in the first commandment? Response, answer. The first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. It continues on. Question number 47. What is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God, as our God. And the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. So in a sense, the idea here expressed is what? By the the understanding of what the first commandment is, it forbids us. Forbidden from giving any glory, from giving any worthy attention, giving worship to anything apart from the one who designed me. The only one who deserves it. Which actually says, well, I don't have the authority. You don't have the authority. We are not given permission what, to express our reverence, to express our adoration in a way that we worship to anything or to anyone. And the only one who deserves it. Forbidden. We are forbidden. You're not allowed. Sorry. Nope. Can't go. Stop. I think of forbidden from worship. I go back Old Testament. I think of the book of Daniel. Amazing story in the book of Daniel that speaks of this King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful rulers, arguably in the history of the entire world. He expanded borders, he built palaces and museums and, and bridges, the Hanging Gardens, one of the most, what, seven wonders of the world. He's responsible for the destruction of the temple in 587 B.C. So, so great, so massive were Nebuchadnezzar's achievements that he built a, an image to himself, a self-deifying gold statue get this 90 feet tall and and at a dedication ceremony he ordered everyone everyone to gather everyone present leaders and governors and generals and judges and at the appointed hour everyone was to bow down to this image of the greatest king that has ever lived in the history of the world up to that point. And everyone bowed. A sea of people. With the exception of, wait a minute, back in the back there, who's that? Who are they? And there's three young Hebrew boys. And you know what? They, they, they got this. They knew all about the first commandments. And they call those boys up to the front and say, hey, boy, boy what, what are you doing? Yeah, we don't do that. We, we don't live. We don't live like other people live. We live totally different. And we don't bow before anyone. We don't give our adoration. We don't worship anything. Or anyone 
other than the one true God. Read the book of Daniel tells us what, that they took those three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, threw them into a fiery furnace. We'll take care of them. How many people, Nebuchadnezzar says, how many people did I throw in the fire? You know, I, how many people did I throw in the fire? Well, there was three. I'm counting what? I'm counting four. That God never leaves us. That God is with us when we take a bold stand and say, we're going to live totally, totally separate and distinct from everyone else. And what is amazing is those boys were brought out of the fire. It says that their, their um, clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I sat next to a, like a little tiny campfire like for an hour the other night, and I reeked. I had marshmallows stuck all over me. It was a mess. These guys are in a fiery furnace. They come out. It says their, their, their clothes weren't singed. And, and what this king, Nebuchadnezzar, was recorded in Daniel, chapter 3, verses 29, chapter 4, verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar himself makes this declaration. Listen to this very carefully. Nebuchadnezzar says, therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb. He's, he's kind of not totally there in his faith yet. Not a lot of grace extended. He says their houses will be laid in ruin for there is no other God who is able to rescue, I love this, in his way. King Nebuchadnezzar who thought himself, what he thought he was what he had gained and earned the status of a God. He himself is brought to a place that says there's only one who is able to rescue in his way. Continues on in chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 3. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. You see, you see when God said, I want you to give all of your attention to me. And we chase after we realize that what there, there's nothing there apart from the only one who rescues, the only one who establishes a kingdom that never ends. You see, that, that event speaks of the fact, what? That story from Daniel speaks of, of the fact that the first commandment deals with our relationship to God, for, forbids us. Don't even go there. Don't even look. To worship anything apart from God, it simply is not to be. Well, America in the 21st century, I don't see any 90-foot-high gold statues. Nobody forcing me to bow down. That's correct. Praise God. But let me tell you this. The enemy would still love. The enemy is still trying what? To, to distract your focus from being on the only one that you should focus on. Therefore, we need to see what any idol, any idol as to really what it is. I was reading a commentary this week and I was excited about a description of, of idols and, and, and the futility of idols. A brilliant PhD, this is the word he came up with. All idols are stupid. I could have come up with that. 
Like that's, that's like, that's what he writes. Why? Because idols can't see. They can't hear. And we wait for them. There must be something. There must be something. No, reduce it all. It's all going to dry up and blow away. It's going to rust. Idolatry is what? Exchanging the glory of the creator for the creation which leads to a life of absolute corruption, of absolute destruction. Romans chapter 1 speaks of this. You take what? You take the glory that was meant for the Creator and you place it on. And it leads to, look around us, it leads to absolute corruption. So we have to understand idols are not just on pagan altars. But idols can exist in the hearts of people. I cannot give a name. You know the name. We received an update this week from one of our precious gifts of God's grace. One of our missionary families. If I may quote one of our dear friends, he says this. A great reminder for us. As he was speaking even of his own testimony, how what one person's testimony can speak to and challenge and even change our lives. I quote, we are human and we rise and fall. We take three steps forward and two steps back. No, no wait, a lot of times we take two steps forward and three steps back. We have a tendency to be complacent, passive and more on fire for the things of the world than the things of God. Isn't that interesting? The day that we pause, the week that we prepare to address the subject, is there anything that we can be chasing after that, that a brother in the Lord writes these words for us? That there's a tendency for us to be more on fire for the things of this world. Just, just stop here for a moment. What are you on fire for? You, you know, we don't want to talk about like the fire in the belly. What excites you? What gets you up in the morning? Man, I got another day to do what? To get more for yourself? Or to live and give glory, more glory. More love, more adoration to God. What are you on fire for? What are you giving your attention to? I just love the beauty of creation. I just worship. Creation is a wonderful gift. We don't worship creation. We worship the one who created everything. We worship the creator. Our time and focus and attention can be on really good things. Our own family. Oh, I love my family. I'm so blessed. And so all of our focus is on what? Our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. No, no, actually a person, even a gift of God can become an idol in your life if that person takes too much attention from you. Your own success in life. I will be the best. No one will work harder than me. The success of our own what? Our own job? So that we what? Gain more what? So we get more possessions. We worship our own strengths. We worship our own what? Religion? No, no, not, not a system. 
but one, one. We don't work for other people's approval. We live. God has gifted us with what? Breath for one more day so that everything is extended to him. Or what? Or we very, very easily, very easily can worship ourselves. Why? Because we are simply in love with ourselves. That's why we're instructed to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Okay, the wisdom of God is way ahead of us. People, please, please see the danger of trying to replace God. Let's move on. There's more here for us. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Look at verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number one, you should not, you should not replace God with an idol. Number two, and this commandment, we see what? You should not represent God with an image. Under any circumstance, you should not represent God with an image. Put your crowns away. You should not make a carved image or any likeness of me. A little six-year-old boy was working feverishly with paper and crown when, when his mama saw him and asked him, and, and she said, honey, what are you doing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And mama said, well, son, you can't do that because no one, no one knows really what God looks like. He looked up at her and says, well, they will in a minute. And, and that, is what, that is cute, and we do kind of chuckle at that. But, you know, we as adults do exactly the same thing all the time. So, thankfully, again, what the second commandment does is actually protects us, leads us further into our worship, warning us from worshiping the wrong way. We know what? We know that God is unseen. God is unseen. John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus says what? For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And you and I know what? We struggle. I struggle with the unseen. I struggle with the invisible. Why? I want to see what I'm worshiping. I want to see who I worship. When Moses asked to see the Lord in his glory, later on in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, what? The Lord says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now we know that what that reference speaks specifically of the glory of God. Not the face to face that is revealed in, 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 in what? In times. There's actually references. Jacob, what? Speaks face to face in, in, in Genesis. Moses, again, what? Speaks face to face, like a friend would speak to another friend. Obviously, we know when what? God incarnate, aren't in, incarnate, that what? People speak to Jesus face to face. 
But we're not to see God in his glory. Why, 1 Corinthians says what? So that no human might boast in the presence of God. Now, why is this important? That God is unseen. It's important, why? So that there's an element and a degree of constant faith. That God purposely says what? There will not even be a rendering of me. There's not going to be an image ever of God. Why? Because God is simply beyond. He's just beyond. Even what? In a culture and a time where, where carved images of wood or stone or molten images from metals of gold and, and silver poured into shapes. It was very commonplace in a polytheistic culture such as Egypt where Israel had just been 430 years. Obviously there's going to be some kind of an influence here. So God says, "What well, I want to set some things straight. Right out of the gate. Do not ever make an image of me. Don't ever try to represent me with anything. Now, now we know ultimately that we've all seen these pictures you know pictures of um, Jesus and he's like uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, got like puffy, uh, perfectly like poofed hair. I'm just like, I don't know really if that's really, or else, or else we've seen other images of Jesus, some emaciated, pathetic, weak Jesus on a cross. God is saying those, pla those things, they have no place, they have no place in the worship of God. Look around here. This is pretty simple. You, you're not going to find a picture. You're not going to find an image by design. Now we know that Israel sadly kind of fails in this commandment and they actually fail really, really fast. Exodus chapter 32, we know the story of the golden calf. Moses is actually receiving, what, the law, and they're down wanting to try to find something that represents. For what you can understand, it's not, it's not, the intent was not an additional God, kind of lowercase g, but the intent with the golden calf is to find something that represents the one true God. After all, bull is represented as what? It has a lot of potency, it has a lot of power. How did the whole golden calf thing turn out? Do you remember any of that? Do you remember that story from Sunday school? We don't have the time to look at it now, but God was so outraged. God was so furious. He actually makes this statement in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10. Here's the statement. Here's, here's how it turns out. God says, I'm going to burn them up and start again. Moses as what, in this particular context, as a type, the typology of Jesus actually intercedes on their behalf and says, please don't burn them up. Thankfully, God relents it. And Moses says, we're going to teach them a lesson. What's his response to the people? Moses says, I'm going to destroy this golden calf. He has it, he has it melted down. He has it 
ground into dust and he puts it in water and he says, you're going to drink this. You, wanna, you, you want this idol? You'll drink it. I think you kind of get a little bit of an idea that this is pretty serious. Why? Once again, the second commandment speaks of God's jealousy and God's supremacy. They're highlighted here. You could take a golden calf and you could say, well, that represents a, a tiny, tiny portion of what? The power of God, but, it, but a minuscule fraction, really, of his true character. Think about this for a moment. How do you carve an image? How do you paint a painting of God as what? As all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. How, how do you draw a picture? What's that look like? How do you draw a picture, carve an image of his holiness, perfection, majesty, sovereignty, love, grace, mercy, justice, wrath? How do you draw a diagram of the creator, of redeemer, friend, lover, righteous judge, captain of our salvation. How do you draw a picture of the great high priest, the prince of peace, the blessed hope, the upholder of all things? How do you do that? How do you color a picture of Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, Elamat? How do you draw a picture of Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi? How do you get anything ever to represent what? The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end of everything, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do you design anything of the great I am? Yahweh. Now you understand what's happening here? Just as God is saying in the first commandment, don't, 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 don't try to replace me because you'll never be fully satisfied apart from me. God is saying in the second commandment, don't try to represent me with an image that will never be able to accurately describe the indescribable. Why? Like, why is this such a big deal here? That statement is found in verse 5. Because the Lord says what? The Lord says... I am a jealous God. Now immediately in our what kind of fallen world, fallen state, we immediately go to, this is not the jealousy of, I wish I had your bike and not my old junky piece of a bike. That's not that type of a jealousy. This is God the creator who is saying what? That he is worthy of all, not some, honor from his entire creation. This is what, when he gives the Ten Commandments, God is displaying zeal for his children. When he gives the Ten Commandments, God is showing what concern for our well-being. When God gives the Ten Commandments, he wants us to understand that we are to live and, 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 and give everything, to love God, so that he alone receives what? Every ounce of our attention when it comes to worship. Why? Because he deserves it. No one else does. Nothing else does. That's why. That's why. And finally, God, God is promising. God is saying, he's displaying, he's showing, and, and God is promising what? To show faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love 
and keep my commandments. You know what's interesting is that this is the first mention of, of loving God. Now, in, throughout the book of Exodus, it's certainly implied, but we're all the way to Exodus chapter 20 before this is the first mention of loving God. Here, implied earlier, but here it's direct. Here it's explicit. Here it's important. Loving God is foundational for everything else. Remember, the way that we show our love to God is what? Is through our obedience. And so we can actually step back and we can actually examine a little bit. How, how am I doing in my obedience, in showing my love to God? How am I doing in obeying God? How are you doing in displaying your love through obedience? And we can break it all down to what? How are we doing at loving God and loving other people? Today we, we talk about, we prayed earlier, the, the, the global pandemic has just what? It is a kick in the gut to everyone. A hundred, a hundred plus thousand people dead in our country alone. Economic depression, uncertainty, recession. On top of that, we have what? We have, literally, we have this country. It's like, it's just people are pent up with so much anger and so much hatred. It's burning, like just burning and destroying. Enter what? Enter the church of Jesus Christ, those whom God has redeemed. Not only just what? Not only are we placed here, but we've been given a clear indication of this is what I want you to do. You need to love God. You need to love others now more than ever before. Find someone that you know is aching or hurting. We have people all around us that are terrified. Like they don't want to, they don't want to go outside. They don't want to turn on the news. This is the opportunity that God has placed us in as hard as it is. To be obedient by God by showing our love for him first and for others second. May we, by God's strength, may we, through the power of his spirit, have the opportunity to be faithful and obedient and loving now more than ever before. Why? Because we live not with a desire for if we do enough, God will love us. If we do enough, God will save us. No, because of what God has done, this is who we are. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we just love you and we plead right now for your strength. We plead and pray, Lord, that the power of your spirit would be what felt that would, would dwelt within us. And that you would, Lord, give us the, the means, give us the strength that we need. We don't have it ourselves. Father, we also confess, I confess, it is so easy to get other things in front of you, to, to put other things, to give our attention to, to give our time to. Father, I just pray that you would remove anything so that you, you would be visible, you would be seen, you would be heard. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do that. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus.